Hey everyone, welcome to Switch Focus Podcast, episode 35. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. We're one host down this week, so with me is Andrew Brown. Uh, Ginny is otherwise detained, but she will be appearing on the show from the grave. No, sorry, that's a bit morbid. Uh, from the ether. Uh, whenever we're talking about something, she's got something to add. We will splice that in as we go. Uh, how are you, Andrew? How's your week been? Uh... Not great, actually, but that's okay. <laughs> we can move on. <laughs> Got some uh, sweet gaming helping you feel better, though, I'm sure. So, uh, let's move on to updates from the previous episode. Okay, so, Andrew, you'll be pleased to know that I finally put some time into adventure mode. Yes, you did. On Hyrule Warriors Definitive Edition, I should say. I have to say, I absolutely get the appeal. It's quick wins and smaller matches, I guess, with uh, little objectives equal like an addictive little antithesis to the Legends mode, which has like really long, lengthy battles, which can take anything from 20 minutes to an hour, depending on how thorough you want to be. And it is definitely fun working your way through these 8-bit maps. However, I'm still done with it mechanically. It's very good, but I think it's going to be the thing that I go back into when I just fancy playing something like mindlessly uh, with a Zelda theme, and I think that that would fit the bill. It's not something I'm going to sit and plow hours upon hours into. Uh, I did have a question for you, though. Uh huh. I probably have an answer. <laughs> have you tried the challenge mode at all? I've never once played challenge mode. Okay, because this seems like a challenge mode as well, in that it gives you objectives and time limits to beat them in. I don't know how the challenge mode is structured. It's probably a lot harder. Well, challenge mode gives you very specific things to do. Like, uh, it has you playing as Beast Ganon at one point. I know it's one of the main challenges that you do. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's interesting. You could say it's similar to challenge mode, but I think that's discounting what makes challenge mode special. Yeah, I, I like the, the structure of adventure mode a lot, uh, and I, I like the variety. I, it's definitely got more variety than the Legends mode. So certainly in uh, terms of the type of objectives, like I did one yesterday where it was a, a quiz, and I had to go to an arena... And it gave me a clue about an enemy, and I had to make sure I killed the right enemy, which was kind of cool. I liked that. Mm-hmm. It had me thinking about the game in different ways, which was which was really nice. I remember you saying there was a story element to it. I think that's completely passed me by, because I'm not seeing that. How does that work? Well, there's a story in that you work through each map, and when you get to the end of the map, you, you win. That's That's the story. I was just okay. trying to coerce you into playing it. <laughs> <laughs> it worked. It's it's pretty good. I like it. I, I, I completely get why you enjoy it so much. And certainly why you enjoy it more than the Legends mode, which I did enjoy. But I, I just sort of hit that point where mechanically I feel like I'm ready to move on to something else. But I did I did unlock half the map mm-hmm. in the adventure mode. So I did give it a good go. Did you just play the first adventure map? Uh, yeah, I haven't yeah. tried any of the others. I did notice, having flicked through them, that they all have their own unique spin. Yeah. Say the Majora's Mask one 
uh, resets after every three in-game days, just like Majora's Mask, which which is a cool twist on on the formula. Mm-hmm. I would say that the first adventure map is by far the weakest one. You can tell it was really where they were uh, refining things because that is a very repetitive map, I would say, and the goals that are on it that you have it doing. There's not a variety of goals as like you see in the later maps that you can unlock. And also the items you have to use on the world map to unlock the hidden secrets, which actually make the things unlockable in each of the map. Those are much more tedious to earn on the first adventure map than they become on the later maps. So that map is very much a a prototype of the adventure mode, I'd say. And if you're struggling with the adventure mode and getting into it, maybe just skip to the Wind Waker map, which is also an easy difficulty map. You can do it as soon as you start the game. But unfortunately, there is a lot of stuff in the first adventure map you have to unlock. A lot of the level one weapons are in there. But the item shop that they've added into the game now that lets you buy the item cards, that actually reduces a lot of the tedium that really plagued adventure mode in the Legends release and in the original Wii U release of the game. Because if you needed a specific item card to unlock an unlock for a specific map you had to go back to an older level and get the item from there rather than just buying it from the shop Mm. so yeah the the shop is by far my favorite addition to definitive edition yeah i i missed the shop and i was there's a couple of levels where i didn't do the search or use the the item card because i was scared of losing it so yeah that's good to know um i'm definitely going to jump back into it at some point it's just uh just for the moment i'm ready to to move on to something else you're never gonna come back to it (laughs) i know i know it's the biggest lie i tell myself every time uh also other things i tried i actually tried the sushi striker demo Mm -hmm. and like Ginny, i did a 180 i really enjoyed the demo (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and as we discussed last week, I played the demo and also did a 180 and lost interest in it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm actually thinking about buying it. Uh, I haven't yet. I've been umming and ahhing about it all, all over the weekend. But I'm actually thinking I might get it on 3DS instead. I feel like it's a better fit there, and mm. I feel like I'd get through it quicker, just being able to carry it in my pocket. What on earth are you uh, doing with your Switch? <laughs> <laughs> carrying it in a bag. Um, the one thing I didn't like about it very much was the story. Yeah, that was what drove me away, mostly. Yeah, it was kind of annoying, so I ended up skipping most of it, which meant I missed a couple of mechanics at first. I appreciate that it has it's going for like that Splatoon-style like young attitude thing, but it's nowhere near as charming. <laughs> Is that what it's going for? <laughs> yeah, that's the impression I get. Did not feel that way at all to me. I was like, oh, this is more anime nonsense. I'm done. (laughs) But from a gameplay perspective, I I kind of enjoyed it. It's nice and simple. And yeah, we'll see how I go. I'm I'm still torn. I might still get it on Switch. I don't know. Okay, with that, let's uh, move on to the latest Switch news. Latest Switch news, not much again, because it's... Well, E3's technically started now, Nintendo's stream will be coming up in the middle of next week. The news I wanted to highlight uh, was that Shaq Fu, A Legend Reborn, was free to those that bought NBA Playgrounds early, because it was quite unfinished when it <laughs> launched on Switch originally, missing the online mode and a bunch of other features. Missing a shot meter. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a big one for that game. 
If you didn't play NBA Playgrounds when it first came out, the entire game is governed by a shot meter. And when it launched, the shot meter was invisible. <laughs> it was bafflingly stupid. <laughs> yeah, it was hard to get that timing right without it. Because the timing was different for every character. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, it was. But it was an okay arcade basketball game. It wasn't quite as fun as NBA Jam, which I really love both the the original and, and the Xbox Live Arcade version that came out. But on to Shaq Fu. Uh, wow. So Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I can see why they made it free. It's mechanically fine. Yeah. Like it's it's not unfun to play. The premise is you can do these little combos easily, uh, which then allow you to use Shaq size 22s for, for massive damage mm-hmm. in this big sweeping attack, or you can spend it on like a, a downward punch, which is like an area of effect attack. And that's pretty much it. Uh, the story's kind of offensive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm halfway through the second level as we speak, and like I thought it might get less offensive after the first one, but it's still kind of going. I like it's enjoyable enough just on a mechanical level that I'm probably going to carry on and finish it because from what you were saying off air, it's pretty short. Yeah, I beat it in two and a half hours. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I'll probably see it through just for the sake of having an extra game on my completion list for the year. But <laughs> what a what a weird game. I'm it, like it. It's bad, but I kind of feel that's its intention. Yeah, you know what I mean, they were going for that with like the jokes. The jokes are so bad, and like it knows how bad they are, but. It's not hitting that sweet spot of a joke being so bad it's good. Every so often it gets it, like, uh, the story is uh, Shaquille O'Neal was found as a baby floating down a river in China and was raised to be an ultimate warrior. So as you're going through all the game, everybody in the game is mistaking Shaquille O'Neal, seven-foot-tall black man, for a Chinese person. That <laughs> That is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, the... Yeah, the, the, the Chinese stuff is oh, very badly handled. It's super offensive, yeah. Yeah, like talk, talking as a white person, like I, I obviously not going to know how offensive it is, but to me it looks offensive. Like uh, you have Shaq's mentor, I think his name is Ye Ye or something. It's something yeah. repetitive like that. He is basically a Fu Manchu stereotype without a Fu Manchu mustache. Yeah. Uh, but he's got the broken English and he's got the the fake philosophy behind everything he says. And there's actually a, a rap theme song, which is half him rapping in broken English. It's it's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, it makes me uncomfortable. It, yeah. But, it should but, make uh, you uncomfortable. I would be concerned <laughs> if you played this and you weren't made uncomfortable. If you play this and you think this is hilarious, we cannot be friends. Yeah, I, that, that's my mindset. Uh, but yeah, wow. Okay, at least it's free. Yeah. <laughs> for, for those people, anyway, that bought NBA Playgrounds early. Yeah, definitely don't spend money on this. But it, like, no. if, if you're going to get it free anyway, <laughs> there are worse things I've done with my two and a half hours. Yeah, like I, I've played worse games for free. Yeah. Let's face it. Like so. a kitten squad. Yeah. Which is out over here now, by the way. Oh, how fun for you guys. <laughs> yeah. 
But the weirdest thing about Shaq Fu, a legend reborn, or whatever it's called, is it's actually making a social statement. <laughs> it is saying that for the past 30 years or so, there has been a demonic plot to flood the world with idiotic celebrity news so they can take over the world. The second boss in this game is the current president of the United States. <laughs> oh, I haven't got that yet. <laughs> that's the second that's, brilliant. The, that's the second boss of the first level you definitely have. Oh, okay. So I have fought him. So you, I guess oh, okay. you just didn't get the jokes. Like the first joke was about how his fingers are not fat. They're wonderful fingers. <laughs> yes, okay. okay. I was playing in handheld mode while watching the EA conference. Yeah. I, I might have missed bits of that. Well, you can tell they were definitely afraid of getting sued because none of the characters, none of the real celebrities they're parodying actually have names that are anywhere close to what their actual names are. But if you know, like, the celebrity gossip news about these people, you will get the jokes. Like, uh, another boss that you fight in the second world is Justin Bieber. (laughs) Like <laughs> he has some other ridiculous name, but it's Justin Bieber, and uh, another boss you fight later on, who's living on uh, an island filled with Nazis and loincloths, is Mel Gibson. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah, and uh, later on you are saved by a whale who is Michael Moore. <laughs> oh wow! It's okay. it, it's a whale, but he has Michael Moore's glasses, and he has his hair and his red baseball cap. It is Michael Moore. <laughs> oh wow! This game, okay. this game is ridiculous. <laughs> so if you've got the opportunity to play it for free, I, I recommend you give it a look. But otherwise, yeah, don't don't pay money for it. Whatever you do. We cannot encourage this game's existence. <laughs> no. It's wrong. Okay, moving on to what we played this week. Uh, I was meant to start Banner Saga 2 yesterday, and instead I ended up playing Sonic Forces from start to finish in one sitting. Hmm. That is certainly a video game. It is entertaining, uh, for those that don't know, but it's basically Sonic in a world that's kind of near Automata meets Persona 5. Sonic gets kidnapped. Uh, you create a self-insert Sonic character, which is the worst thing ever. <laughs> and then you go through saving him, and it's got classic Sonic, who's who's mute, which is a, a c- cool little gimmick, I guess. It's entertaining. It's It's just very, very, very weird and... I was going to say it's not what you expect from a Sonic game, but I guess this is the sort of stuff you've come to expect from Sonic <laughs> games over the year. Is it bad? It's okay. There's, there's some good stuff in there. That's kind of what I've come to expect from Sonic games over the years. There are some good levels, and there's some okay boss fights. Like The, the first boss fight is the hardest for some reason, or the rest are really easy. It's certainly not as good as Sonic Mania, but it's it's very... Sonic Mania is about challenge, which is like what the old games were, whereas this is about just playing a platformer from start to finish, and it's nice not to have the the live system halting your process progress all the time. Like it's it's nice just to better hit a checkpoint and know that if you die you'll be going back to that checkpoint. Why do games still have extra lives? Just just why? <laughs> yeah, well I, I get why Sonic Mania did it, because it was going for the retro vibe, but this this doesn't need it. And uh there's some cool mechanics but they sort of 
backfire too. So modern Sonic has like a homing ability where you can jump and then target an enemy, press the button and he'll hit them automatically. Mm-hmm. Classic Sonic doesn't have that. And he moves in pretty much the same way, so I keep forgetting that he can't. And then just running into enemies. There, there is this thing with Sonic, though, that I was going to talk about, which is people's memories of what made old Sonic good versus the reality of what old Sonic was. So <laughs> whenever people talk about Sonic, they're always talking about it's a game where you just run really fast. And their impression no. is that you just run from start to finish and do the loops and blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah. And you, you jump and then you get the spinny flag at the end and Mm -hmm. you win Mm -hmm. but it's not like Mm -hmm. that at all you have to stop and jump it's a platformer it's a proper platformer and i think that's where people tend to get quite upset by modern sonic games because they're doing the platformy things and it's it's not aligning with those sort of false memories Mm. it's only really the green hill levels where you are actually capable of just flying through in that way what do you reckon my entire perception of Sonic has been, in recent years, basically formed by the book Console Wars. Have you ever read that? Uh, no, I've heard of it. Though. I came out of that book, I think, with a slightly unique perspective from what the book actually wanted to me to understand. But basically that Sonic exists as a marketing ploy and was never really intended as a game, just as something to counter Nintendo, which is where the whole console wars thing came from. So, like, the entire Sonic phenomenon is built around being in competition with Mario and existing in opposition to Mario, but really is just copying Mario, which is why we have a Sonic kart racing game. And, yeah, yeah. you got Sonic, you got blast processing, gotta go fast. All these things are just completely made up by a marketing team after the fact and have absolutely nothing to do with how Sonic was designed as a game. So Sonic is just completely lost as a cohesive idea of what a game should be. So whereas Mario has kind of grown out to be this sprawling idea that doesn't really have a core platforming series anymore. He's got the sports games, he's got the racers, he's got the puzzle games, he's got the Galaxy slash odyssey series whatever is happening with him right now and sonic just has this mess of other stuff where they're just going uh, we don't know here's an idea let's stick sonic in it yeah they don't know what he is yeah his, his own company do not know what he is or what he's meant to be yeah team sonic is completely lost they have no direction and like that sonic racing game that's been announced for later this year first sonic game in I don't know how long I've even been remotely interested in. Yeah, well, Racing Transforms was was really good. It was, like, uh, yeah. That took me, but I had to review that, and that took me by surprise at just how good it it was. And I actually rate it a lot better than a lot of Mario Kart entries, mm-hmm. with probably the exception of eight. Eight, I think, would be the first Mario Kart that I would even describe as a good game. I don't like the old Mario Kart games. Like they're they're fine. Like the. The 3DS one was fine. The Wii one was fine. Yeah. But that was better. And it, ha- it also had the best, better solution to the blue shell, which was to put obstacles in front of the leader, which tests them rather than just being an automatic lose. Yeah, totally. Which, which is m- much fairer. But... but like even that racing All-Stars Transformed, that was a Sonic and Sega game. It wasn't just a Sonic game. So I think that helped a lot with the quality because you had other people with their 
IP invested in that going, no, 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 no. We're not going to make another lousy Sonic game. We're going to make a good game here. I think that helped yeah. a lot. Yeah, I reckon. Um, it's the same development team, though, so we'll we'll see how that pans out. It's Sonic Forces, though. It's a fun, ro- fun ride while it lasts, but it's ultimately forgettable. Sounds like a Sonic game. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> And moving on, Ginny's going to be so mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she likes that game, right? <laughs> she likes Sonic. <laughs> uh, uh-oh. So how has your second attempt at Banner Saga gone? Well, I wanted to uh, restart Banner Saga so I could get through it and I could start Banner Saga 2 Friday, which was would have been yesterday for me as we're recording this. But I did not have the energy to do it. I was basically falling asleep as soon as I got home most of the week. So I didn't get to restart it until this afternoon. So I've redone chapter one and chapter two. And chapter three is where I've gotten where I got stuck and just just gave up. So I don't know how it's going to go because honestly I'm I'm getting a level up again and I'm looking at my stats. I'm still having no idea what to do with them. I'm just sticking them in places in in willpower, actually, and hoping hoping for the best because the the things that you two have told me about, like away from the podcast about where I should be allocating my stats and the abilities I should be using, I'm still looking at this game and I'm not seeing anywhere where it explains these things. So I'm still completely lost. For me, it explained it very very briefly right at the beginning and admittedly it's not in the most effective way i feel like part of that's on purpose like you were alluding to with with chapter three in the introduction of the the dredge where they they want you to hate them yeah they want you to feel like the game is a slog because that's what the characters are going through as well yeah i i had that same problem like i was just sort of filling the points out trying to spread them evenly i think you're do you're doing the right thing by putting it in into wisdom willpower but then i was noticing like some of the classes are really low on strength so i spent some time boosting them hmm. um now in banner saga one when i got to the end fight uh i had this horrible feeling that i hadn't tooled up my team for that fight which is impossible because hmm. no one's no one's that psychic that they could predict what they're going to come across yeah uh and so i went to the internet after struggling for a night and like other people were saying the same like this is like i've really enjoyed the game but basically this end boss fight is killing it for me because there's no way i could have predicted what i needed to build my team towards can i just stop you just real quick yeah i i hate this in games where the rpgs make you allocate stats yourselves uh, because there's always a golden path that you're supposed to follow, and you always end up looking on Reddit or GameFAQs or wherever to find out what those stats are supposed to be. And like, if it's the first time playing through the game, you don't have access to those resources, or if the game is brand new and nobody knows these things yet, that just kills the whole thing for me, because basically it, it's the game telling me to screw off and go back to the beginning and play it all over again and do it right this time, you idiot. It's like... Okay. If you're not going to explain so, these things to me, how am I supposed to know these things? So thankfully, I don't think it's that bad. So what happened was I was looking at like the the parties of other people that had finished it, and they had most of their party up to level five. Uh huh. And instead, me trying to keep my caravan happy had been 
putting all my money on uh, all my renown on supplies. Oh, I haven't been doing that. <laughs> yeah, and then that backfired because I did run out eventually, and then people were leaving or getting killed because of low morale and stuff like that. And then, and then I had no supplies, and then the end boss fight, everyone was underpowered. Uh, so I struggled with it for like two nights trying to beat this boss, and then suddenly I just did it hmm. on normal difficulty. I I don't I can't remember what my I, it was just feeling out the right strategy to to trick the enemies to be where I, I wanted them to be. Yeah. So my my advice to you in combat is you know as much as possible let them come to you. Yeah, I try that. You. Yeah, use use the archers to wear them down, and then use your melee characters to finish them off. Yeah, like when it's giving me like human melee characters, I'm like, go away, you're worthless. <laughs> yeah, the Val, uh, yeah, super powerful. And then Varl melee human archers. That's it. <laughs> yeah, the game specifically tells you at one point you should really use your human melee characters. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the game does actually tell you to invest in wisdom and not to neglect it in favor of power, but it's like in one line it's easy to miss, so I, yeah. I can understand people missing that. Um, on to Banner Saga 2, though, so assume you haven't started it, of course. So. I still don't even know if I'm going to get Banner Saga 2. It's going to depend upon how my current playthrough of Banner Saga 1 goes, because yep, I, I, I might successfully get through it and still decide I don't care. That's fine. Uh, so, uh, Banner Saga 2 imports your save from the previous game, which I was super happy with. Uh, I know this will be old news for people that have played it on other platforms, but I, I had no idea how that was going to carry over. Uh, it seems to have carried over all my surviving party members and all their stats and levels. Hmm. So, everyone that finished the game on level 5 is level 5 in my new game. Anyone that was below is below. Uh, if you didn't, play through the first one you can still start in this and pick which cast member you want to play as uh which is a good option but i think people if they're going to play it they should try the first one there are some subtle improvements i'm not very far into it so there may be more i need to expand on in the future but uh for example in the first game there was a training tent when you camped uh which was largely pointless (laughs) yeah you got no benefits from doing it other than just having practice battles, and if you find the battles fun, that's that's fine, that's okay. I did find the battles fun, but I saw no point in spending time in something that wasn't going to reward me with stat, stat boosts or powers or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, this at least has challenges. The trainer in the training tent says he has five challenges for you, and if you can beat, beat all five before you get to the destination, he'll reward you. So that's a cool thing. I'm... I'm these challenges are more of like a, a puzzle in trying to work out how to position people to get the enemies in places to hit the criteria. In the first game, the battlefields were very flat. Yeah, so super boring. I, I yeah, like I really enjoyed the combat, but there was there was no like terrain that you needed to think about, um, except on one map where that was an issue, um, and which was like the the funnest fight because of it. Here. At least in the early couple of games, there seems to be destructible cover that you need to work around or get through. Uh, the dredge will actually, if they can't hit you, they will try and take out the cover. And so uh, I like the element of the destructible environments playing their part in this as well. Uh, other than that, it's so far it's more of the same. So the same Oregon Trail style 
management of your caravan's mood and their their health and then continuing the same bleak story that I really loved from the first one uh, and that's just carrying on they're, they're still going on their journey and still trying to work out what's happening in the world so just a question for you about the, the first one I really liked how it felt like you were picking up in the middle of a story it didn't feel like a forced opening did you get that? I, f- I found that more believable because of how they approached that I didn't notice that, which is the best thing that you can say about a story. It's beginning very organically. And yeah, it definitely yeah. it definitely begins in media race. And they did a very good job of that because I felt no desire to comment on it. Yeah, because I was like, at first, it's like, well, I don't... They were treating it as if you knew the characters. I was like, well, I don't know this guy. But then you just have to keep following it. And it did feel very organic. Like, it didn't feel like, hey, this is the start of the game, fireworks. It was very much here's what's happened, and here's what you need to do. I really like that. Um, but that's all I've really got to say on, on Banner Saga 2 so far. Uh, I'm sure I'll have more to say next week when I've had to, when I've had a chance to play more of it. And I think that's all we've played. Hey. So everyone probably already knows, or Andy's probably already described, that I'm going to be splicing my audio in this week. So... <laughs> You're not going to have the usual banter back and forth between Andrew, Andy, and myself. But um, I will still contribute to the stuff that I played this week. So in terms of stuff that I've played this week, just like Andy, I've also played Banner Saga too. And I'm going to try and not touch on too many of the same points that he did. Being as how we're both, li- we're both liable to gushing over this title because it's just brilliant. Well, brilliant for me, maybe less wholly positive opinion from Andy, but that's fine. So yeah, most importantly, for those who have not played the previous Banner Saga game, you really do not at all want to start with this. I cannot in good conscience recommend that you start with number two if you haven't played the first one, mainly because you're not going to have any moral or narrative basis for your decision-making choices. If you have played the first one, it can carry your save over, which is really good because you make some pretty crucial decisions at the very end that can change your party makeup. Don't want to spoil anything, but yes, it is incredibly crucial at the end. So, And that choice that you make comes about as a result of some incredibly difficult, I guess, previous narrative choices. And so to kind of be thrown into Banner Saga 2 at the start with one of the two characters, with one of the two characters that you can choose to have in your party after a climatic event in the last game is not an ideal way to start the game. The game starts you at, I think, yeah, the game calls it Chapter 8, making it very sure that's a continuation of the previous game. So just in that sense, I think it is really not, I guess, new player friendly in terms of what the game is good at, which is delivering emotional hooks and punches and sort of all those story beats that feel incredibly meaningful and are made more meaningful by previous knowledge. However, having been having just said all that stuff, if you've played one, not to completion, but enough to kind of get acquainted with the characters, you can probably just start off here with two. There have been some improvements to the game that I think fix stuff that people did like about number one. I don't know if any of Andrew's particular concerns have actually been addressed, but they have given you more things to do in the downtime. So, um, as you already know, Banner Saga kind of operates like the Oregon Trail, but like a grim, dark Nordic scenario. So, you fight stuff on the road um, when you encounter them in random events. 
you can set up your tents and rest for the night and you use supplies and you have to mitigate conflicts between people that travel with you and make sure that you engage in diplomacy and blah 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 and stuff like that and before when you were resting there really wasn't much to do most of the time when you rest on the road there's just nothingness you just rest to get health back or you rest to trigger an event over a couple of days or something but now they've added some stuff for you to do like they've added extra combat challenges um as part of a way as part of the existing mechanic which they encourage you to use to get acquainted with your characters in battle so i think tying that in to getting to know your characters more and having a chance or having the incentive to practice what their skills are like outside of a life or death combat scenario is really valuable i know a couple of people were saying and andrew as well um that they felt that the combat controls weren't explained very well in the first title and as i mentioned when i talked about banner saga one when i played it that i kind of operated on knowing what to do based on just having played the pc version i don't recall it the game explaining particularly comprehensively how to use willpower how to get the benefit of willpower i know the game said you can use this and press this button to use this thing to activate a skill but i think things like the horn mechanic for willpower and also what exactly some of those skills can do you don't really know until you try them out in the training tent so i think extra incentive to get players to move towards that direction to kind of activate their own tutorial of sorts for different characters and combat is really useful because combat is a killer and on top of that, the other tweaks that have been made, I guess, to the rather grid-like linear combat of the game is cover. So you kind of have cover mechanics now, or well, I think people call them barricades, um, which can be destroyed, but can also provide defensive bonuses. So before I was just using my Vile as meat shields, I fully fess up to that. If anyone asks me, that is what I did, and I do not apologize for it because they have insane amounts of health and armor. But... If you love the Ryle and can't stand to see them hurt, you can now use barricades that come up in certain maps, not all of them. This is not like a fixture, only some of your combat maps will have destructible barricades that you can use for cover and defense. So it's not like a wholesale, I suppose, reskinning of the environments. There's still a lot that feels very bare. But the stuff that made the first one so good, you know, the moral concerns, stuff kind of having to, stuff kind of creeping up when you least expect it. The twists and the turns and the emotional punch and just the overall bleak nature of the universe and the story it's telling managing to be engaging whilst also still you with a deep sense of hopelessness um it's still great no it's just you you feel like you're in just one long melancholy folk tale and you know it's not going to end well but you just have this compelling need to see how it ends that's the best way that I can describe how I feel playing the Banner Saga series. And, um, you know, if you're struggling with combat, don't be embarrassed to turn it down to easy. You're honestly not losing anything by doing that. The fights just take a lot less time, which may actually be great in some cases. If you care more about the story, not so much about killing stuff and smashing their heads in, you still get the full impact of it because of the pre and post battle dialogue choices that you make and things that you have to do. And, I mean, the magic in Banner Saga is not the combat. The combat is serviceable. It's all about the storytelling. So if, let's say, if you're someone that's tried one, you didn't really, really click with it, but you knew that there was stuff that you liked about it and you're willing to take the chance in Banner Saga too, please think about taking the chance. I can recommend it 
Um, and I honestly think that if you give the game a second go, if it didn't sit right with you the first time, you know, don't be ashamed to put things down to easy for the combat because really it's a story that you're here for and it tells one of the most brilliant stories the Switch has seen since its launch. Right, another game that I played this week, probably about as lighthearted as Andy's Sonic Forces choice, is Sushi Striker. So I had initially said this game looks like trash. I remember when Andrew first brought it up and I said, no way am I going to play this. It looks like some subpar match three game and even the anime aesthetic isn't going to save it for me. But I was wrong. I'm a bad, bad, filthy liar and... (laughs) I tried the demo and I was basically hooked on Sushi Striker. So Annie's probably already briefly described what it's like. Um, it is wild, wacky action and it is, it kind of plays out like an anime about sushi warriors. If you ever watched the movie Shaolin Soccer, which is like, I think it's a Taiwanese movie where there are some, there are some people living in Taiwan who are soccer stars, but they have like special Kung Fu powers that make them super good at soccer and give them some ridiculous moves. It's kind of like that, but replace soccer with Sushi Chef. So there's some nefarious anime plotline about, that kind of reminds me of the Food Wars story arc currently, whereby there's like a central body that's trying to, to trying to determine what sushi's going to be like and keep sushi this kind of pure art form that is only available to a certain elite few. And then there's the plucky upstart chef who's trying to spread sushi all around the world with the help of his magical sushi sprites who look like very adorable animals. So yes, this is a mishmash of anime tropes that rear their heads throughout the game. There are plenty of cutscenes, but I'm pretty sure they're skippable. I skipped one by mistake and I'm sad about that. But they are skippable, so if you just like swiping at stuff, you can play this game and not worry about the anime stuff. But really, why would you? That is really the backbone of the title. And in terms of what you actually do as this sushi warrior setting out in this food wasteland, you collect sushi plates, and once they're wiped clean, I guess you're eating them, you throw them at people and knock them out. I think the swiping motion should be the first clue. This is a game that is made for tactile controls, so I love the touchscreen on the Switch for this reason. And, you know, it just makes sense, swiping with my finger up and down, swiping in different directions and whatnot. But as someone who still uses their Nintendo 3DS, I really wish that the Switch was stylus compatible and I could use a stylus for playing this game because you need to be precise, you need to be fast. And sometimes when your fingers get a little sweaty when you've been playing on the Switch for a while because it's really warm when you're playing in handheld mode, you don't get that same accurate grip slash swipe that you need to really swing some of those plate throws. And it's just a game that kind of feels like it was made for the 3DS. This was not my initial um, impression of the game. At first I thought, you know, whatever, I can just use my fingers, it's not a big deal. But when once Andy brought it up about how the game would be a better fit for the 3DS, I just whipped it out on my 3DS, started playing um, the Final Fantasy Rhythm game, Theater Rhythm, and just thought, you know what, he's right. Like, this is a game that benefits from the precise strokes you can get from a stylus, not from your sweaty fingers. So all in all, this hasn't soured me on the game at all. I think it's easy enough I can get by using my subpar fingers. I mean, I play boas a hell of a lot, so I'm coordinated, I would like to think. So it's not dampening my enjoyment too much, but it just could have been a little bit better, I think. And in terms of the price point, I think 
while it's got all those anime aesthetics that I love and enjoy, it is, it does feel like a 3DS game. I think it is a little bit pricey for the concept it delivers. It's not a particularly difficult or taxing game. Not to say that easy games that are fun shouldn't be, you know, should be priced lower, but it is incredibly conceptually simple. The gameplay is very, very repetitive. I haven't tried the multiplayer stuff, which obviously was not a huge feature on the 3DS. For most people, it was so tedious to multiplayer anything. So obviously, I haven't tried that yet, so I am probably giving it a little bit of an unfair go because I haven't really carved out that part of the game yet for myself and had a go at it. But, you know, as upbeat as it is, as charming as it is, as hilarious and wacky as it is, speaking of someone's going to love the game, I probably can't recommend it to everyone. It sort of sits in that weird space with like the Pokemon match game or Pokemon Swap or Pokemon Troze. It just feels like a game that was made for the 3DS and it feels a little bit dated. And from a consumer perspective, I can see why it may not be popular. But I loved it. I like me some wacky anime fun. So if you've ever clicked with me on games taste in the past, then you know what? Go for it. Why not? There's a demo out on the Switch eShop anyway that you can try before you buy. So if you're unsure, go check that out. But I enjoyed it. I don't regret purchasing it. I just had a buttload of Switch store credit, so what do I know? I enjoyed it, but it does feel like a game from an era that's already passed. Ready? Go! So, it is... Time for our Super Smash Brothers for Nintendo Switch predictions. Mine is that we're gonna. <laughs> my predictions are so lazy. Uh, we're gonna see something related to Sushi Strikers. Whether that's a character, just a trophy, or something, I don't know. I, I'm I'm bad at thinking ahead on this. <laughs> Uh, what's yours? I think we're going to see a Mario Maker level. Um, yes, yeah. that's much better. Yeah. I like that more than I like mine. Yeah, I think it... I can't remember what they are off the top of my head. I know there have been, or like or there's been levels that have kind of constructed themselves in the middle of you playing them. I think it's going to be like that. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. I would love to see like the stylus as well, like bringing like blocks on and stuff, or dropping enemies in if there's some sort of single player mode without the power-ups yeah that's a good shout i like that one so just in terms of my prediction for super smash bros i am going to revert to a conservative prediction i think there's going to be a mario tennis aces level and possibly you may have some of the mario tennis aces play um npc skills going off in the background to act as, like dodgeable obstacles and stuff like that i think there's great potential for that there it's got lots of updated models the game it's just come out it's kind of on brand and topical for nintendo and i mean why wasn't they i mean they will probably still have a scott star fox level and that game hasn't been a thing for years and years now i'm not going to count the wii u titles i'm sorry it's not happening but you know if we can have a lilac system level consistently we can definitely have a Mario Tennis Aces level. So that's my rather conservative prediction of what I want to see and what I think we're probably going to see in Super Smash Bros. for the Switch. 
Yeah. Uh, and Ginny has noted hers here. It's that there's going to be a Mario Tennis Aces level. Again, a good show. I think they're pretty confident in this this game. Yeah, it's getting good press leading up to it. People are comparing it explicitly to a fighting game. So, <laughs> oh, that piques my interest. Yeah. Um. So, so just uh, did you try the the online demo? I was going to, but uh, last weekend was kind of the start of whatever was going on with me mentally and emotionally last week. So I just kind of sat there going, I should do it. I should do it. I should do it. And I just never did it. But I, I'm i getting, like you, Mario Tennis for the adventure mode. I yeah. don't know if I'm going to play the online multiplayer at all. So I don't feel I've particularly missed out on anything. Yeah, when it, as soon as I heard it was online only, I, I was pretty sure I wasn't going to bother. It certainly wasn't going to change my decision to buy or not, because I'm, I'm just really interested in that single-player story campaign. Mm-hmm. Me too. Okay, Andrew, what are you playing in the coming week? Well, if it's not Banner Saga 2, I honestly don't know if it's not Banner Saga 2, but I've got uh 65 unfinished nintendo switch games so i'll probably i'll play one of them <laughs> sounds like a good idea yeah when a game goes on sale i just just buy it it's like oh that's a good price i'll just take that and i'll play it someday <laughs> <laughs> yeah i uh i'm just gonna carry on with banner saga too i think that's gonna take me through the week to be honest uh but the, i saw that uh just shapes and beats stealthily released yep mm-hmm um, and I have a definite interest in that. So I've, I don't know. I've added it to my watch list. Maybe I'll buy it. Um, I was also tempted by the Sexy Brutal, mm-hmm. which is on sale for 15 bucks over here, down from 30 So maybe I'll grab that while it's cheap. I'll have a think about it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Switch Focus Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, TuneIn, and other podcast services. Be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively Switch Focus community. Links are in the show notes. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at switchfocuspodcast.com for updates, news, and other content. If you'd like to support the show, you can buy us a coffee, and details are on our website. Thanks in advance. If you want to follow us individually, Andy is at Flame Roast Toast, Ginny is at Ginny Woes, and I am at Play Critically, and streaming at twitch.tv slash playcritically. <laughs>